Father, we come before you. We, we thank you for the many blessings that you provide for us. You've given us rain. You've given us a, a stable environment in which to live and grow and raise our kids. And the world is in such turmoil. But Lord, we know that you are solid. You are a rock. And we know that if we trust in you, we will never be led astray. So Father, as we get into your word this morning, we ask for your blessing, your guidance. We ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us, enlighten us, so that we might know how to do your will and conform to it. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we are going to get into the book of Matthew, finish up chapter 3 and get into chapter 4, maybe, Lord willing. But the Lord put something on my heart that I thought I needed to share with you guys. And we're going to take about... I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes maximum. And I'm going to mix it up a little bit. We're going to receive communion then. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to do the Gospel of Matthew. And so what the Lord put on my heart as I was kind of reviewing things this morning when I got up, I I felt the Lord say, tell the people this. They need to know this. And I said, okay, what is it you want me to tell them? And these things just started coming to me. It's like, When we get together and we meet as a body of Christ, there are certain things that we do. And occasionally you'll hear little complaints here like, why do we do that? And why do we do this? And how come this is taking place? And and not that it's just a cacophonous ring, anything like that, but just occasionally you'll hear them. And I wanted to make sure I I explained to you exactly why we do what we do at church. Because there's a, a formula, a pattern, an example that has been set before us in Scripture of how we're to conduct ourselves as far as meeting together as a church. I'll give you a couple of uh, primers here. Why do we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week? Why do we open the service with a prayer? Why do we have a Scripture reading? Why do we sing songs of worship? Why do we receive a, why, why don't we receive a formal offering? Why do we encourage you to greet each other at least three times on most Sundays? Why do I teach or preach the Word of God? Why on a regular basis do I promote going to men's, women's, home fellowships, or study of any kind for that matter? Why do we close with a song or hymn? Why do we receive communion? Why do we close with prayer? Or why do I say a blessing at the end? All of these things are rooted in Scripture. And if we went back to actual tradition how things used to be with the Jews and with the Christians, the disciples in the beginning, the teacher would sit and you guys would stand. But I wanted to make you comfortable. I wanted to make sure you had a nice cushy existence while you're in here and it's nice and toasty and not too toasty. So why do we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week? Now, I'm going to give you these questions. And these are things... I want you to have down, and if you can write them down somewhere, or if you want to take out your phone, you have a little notepad on your phone, you can just kind of write them in, and you can have these scriptures. Because if I said, we are all going to be here and die together, we are not going anywhere for the next 20 years if the Lord keeps me here, and I know that's not going to happen. I know people will leave in the next year, and new people will come in the next year, and I just want to make sure you have this information what a church service is supposed to look like. Why we do what we do when we get together. So why do we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week? I'm going to give you some scriptures here. Acts chapter 20, 
verse 7. And on the first day of the week, when we were together to break bread, and it goes on. So there's, there's a reason that we meet on the first day of the week. It was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It was the day in the book of Acts where they got together and they had donuts, because here it says they broke bread. And then this idea in John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, on the evening of the first day of the week, the first day of the week is Sunday. First day of the week is not Monday. When the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So they were meeting together on a Sunday night. Now the Jews would meet together on Saturday, from Friday dusk, when the sun went down, to Saturday dusk, that was their Sabbath. Sunday, if you go to Israel, even today, it's like Monday. You, you see the roads, they're just going everywhere. The cars are everywhere. The accidents are taking place. The people are doing the crosswalk thing. They're all going to work on Sunday. They're not going to work on Monday. They rest. So that's why we meet on Sunday. And our brothers and sisters in the Seventh-day Adventist group, you know, it, it's, if they want to meet on Saturday, great. Scripture says we're not to criticize those who hold one day over another. But if they come to somebody else and they say, you have to do that, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that we are not to bring that type of criticism, as I just mentioned, against somebody who recognizes a particular day as being more special than another day, or if one person recognizes all days the same. So that's why we meet on Sunday. Why do we open the service with prayer? Well, it would seem like a no-brainer, but I want to make sure I gave you the scriptures on this. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, and thankful. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now sometimes on a Sunday morning, before I ever get up here, and when I get up here, we might have prayed four times, or even five times, and by the service, time the service is over, it might be six times. Oh, we're praying again. You know, it's like the Catholic Church, up and down and up and down and pray and respond. And we have our traditions as well, but it says continually be in prayer. And that actually means as I am speaking, delivering God's word to you, you can even be praying for me, listening at the same time, praying for me that I deliver it the way God wants me to deliver it so that you can be blessed by the word and then go forth and carry out whatever the Lord would have you carry out because we have all received the instruction from his word. So that's why we pray. Why do we have a scripture reading? You know, sometimes we have a scripture reading and it's, it seems like it's so long. Why don't they break it up a little bit? You know what? Can't they do just like four verses or just like a, a memorized verse instead of standing here through the whole chapter? Just wait till we get to Psalm 119. You know, that, if you don't know about that, just look it up, okay? But why do we read Scripture? In Timothy, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, and this is really directed to me. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preach or preaching and teaching. When Ezra came back into the land, it was the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, and they were restoring things in Jerusalem. They found the word of the Lord, and they brought it out, and they read it to people for four hours. 
the first time. Okay, time for a break. And then they read it some more. And the people stood there for four hours the first time. It was like four hours. They just stood there and listened to somebody read the Word of God. Now, they didn't have the Word of God like we do. They didn't have books that you could just pull off the shelf. And we are so blessed with it. And so that's why we read it. And that's why we give you a chunk. I mean, you don't go out of here with a little dove drumstick. We want to give you a turkey leg. And that's what we give you. And so that's why we read through an entire chapter. But, you know, someone will always come in and say, you know, can't you just cut that down a little bit and cut down the prayer a little bit? And, you know, people, they just, they don't tolerate that. Well, is the problem with what we're doing or is the problem with the person? The problem's with the person. And all of us have a problem of some kind. And not everybody complains about everything. We just have our little particular pet peeves. And, of course, Philippians 2.14 says, complain about everything, right? No, it says complain about nothing. We're not supposed to complain about anything whatsoever or argue about anything. So why do we sing songs of worship? Now, I could give you... 167 verses. Well, I'm just going to tell you this verb to sing. Sing is used 115 times in 101 verses in the New International Version. Sang is used 21 times in 21 verses. Singing is used 20 times in 20 verses. Singers are used 8 times in 8 verses. And sings occurs 3 times in 3 verses. That's 167 times in Scripture that people are singing or sang or are singers or sung or however you want to say it. God is a God, our God is a God of music. And so he wants us to sing. He wants us to, with all of our hearts, to let it ring out. Now, some churches will say, you know, I think we ought to just get together and sing and let the Holy Spirit move. And we don't even need to teach. Ah, put on the brakes. First Timothy, as I just read to you, give yourself to the public reading of the word, to preaching and to teaching. All of those things are supposed to be incorporated when you get together, when anyone gets together who is a disciple of Jesus Christ and you have a quote-unquote church service. Why do we not receive a formal offering? Uh, You go to most churches. I heard someone recently said they stopped going to a church because they started taking, taking, taking three offerings. That's why I changed it here. We took, we received one offering. And we would pass the baskets. And I know some consider that an act of worship. And that's wonderful to do that. And I know some miss that. And, you know, it's okay. But I have been personally offended by the number of times and places that I've been where they have asked for, well, first we have an offering for the guest speaker. And it's also now Mission Sunday. And so we're going to receive an offering for that. And then we have the regular tithe and offering that we want to receive. And so they pick up the baskets, they empty them, and they pass them again. And if the Lord's behind it, we're not going to have to worry about any of that, right? Now for, I don't know, what is it, 28 years or so, we haven't received an offering. And we're still here. And it's because of a scripture, 
1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. It says, now about the collection for God's people. And by the way, this collection, it's the collection for those who are suffering in Jerusalem. It wasn't a collection for the church there. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. It doesn't say, on the first day of the week, each church should collect a sum of money from those who give it in keeping with their income. It's very important what the Lord says and what he doesn't say. He is saying this is a responsibility not of, quote-unquote, the leaders in the church. It is your responsibility. And if it's your responsibility, you are required to act. Now, when I say this and I'm pointing the finger, I have three back at me, I'm required to do the same thing too. I'm not out of this loop. Now, some people will give and they'll write a check, and if it's put in there, we normally, we just uh, keep track of that check. We, I should say, a person keeps track of that check, and a person writes out the year in total. There's only one person that really knows the cumulative total of what you guys give, and I like it that way. That way, none of us who are in leadership ever really have to judge anyone in here. And so it is on our shoulders individually to give. And should we give? Absolutely. And if we're not, are we sinning? Absolutely, we are. And so that's the requirement from Scripture, and that's why we don't receive an offering. And I've told funny stories about that. You know, some of the Baptist churches, they, if you go to these uh, websites or these used to be, there's this thing called a magazine. And in the, the magazine, it, it's like a trade magazine for churches, and they have robes, and they have candles, and they have offering trays and offering bags, and they have all kinds of things in these trade magazines. And they used to have these brass-colored plates, like these communion plates that are right in front of me here. And some would had felt, and some would not have felt, and some would have a stick on them because they don't trust you holding the plate. And they, they would pass a plate, or it would be a bag. And in the, one of these Baptist churches, it had no felt in it, and it had a stick on it. So they'd stick it down the aisle, and you'd hear the change drop in there. And, of course, the guy would hold it and shake it a little bit. You know, to where go, you'd hear the change in there, and, and he'd, okay, he'd bring it back, you know, and just kind of put a little guilt on the people. There's no guilt that's going to come from me. If any guilt comes from anywhere, it's going to be from the Holy Spirit. And I want him to convict me as well as you so that we do the right thing. So that's why we don't receive a formal offering. Now, why do we encourage you to greet each other at least three times on most Sundays? Now, the reason we encourage this is, of course, the overall arching reason is fellowship acts 2 verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer those four things should be a part of any church gathering now the breaking of bread can refer to communion it can refer to an agape feast where you get together for a potluck and you receive communion it can refer to that of course the apostles teaching and to prayer. And all of those things are part of a good church service. And also, to greet one another. Scripture says four times to greet one another. And do you know what Scripture says you're to greet one another with? A holy kiss. Can you imagine if the Scripture said, just a kiss? 
If scripture said, greet each other with a kiss, do you think there would be problems developed from that? Oh man, so many problems could develop from that. And so he said, a holy kiss. Now, if you go to the Middle East, how do they greet each other? Like a good Italian, you know, or the kiss of death, you know, type of thing. Um, That's not a holy kiss. But a holy kiss, you know, that's how they greet each other. Like in the Middle East, this would have been something that they would have done in the time of Jesus. They would have greeted each other with a holy kiss. Well, with us, uh, it's not really a holy kiss. Sometimes it is, and it's, you know, it's wonderful if people feel comfortable with that. But it, this idea of shaking hands or even giving a hug, we share this fellowship that people in the world don't normally share. Now, it's, it should be a tight fellowship like in the movie, A Band of Brothers. Now, I haven't seen the series, but I've seen some clips. And these guys went through war, and they died for each other, and they sacrificed for each other. And it cannot compare to anything with a relationship with anyone else. And God tells us that we're supposed to be like that, that we're supposed to have that good, tight fellowship and love each other with a brotherly love is how we're to consider each other, a brother or sister in the Lord. And these holy kiss scriptures, Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. I'll say them again. Acts 2, 42 is the fellowship one. Greet each other with a holy kiss, Romans 16, 16. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. And so when I say, okay, stand up and turn around and greet somebody behind you or in front of you, that's the first step. The second step is I say, go to the other side of the church. And lo and behold, you know, when I look out, I see somebody just sitting. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to go over there. Ah, They can come to me fine that's not what the lord tells us to do he says greet each other we're supposed to greet as many people as we possibly can and this comes under the umbrella of why do we come to church if you come to church to get fed for you because you like it or you like the worship or you you just you like the building our wonderful 1945 building you like this building that's why you come and there's heat or it's cold or whatever reason you come here, you come for you. We are not supposed to come to church for me, for you. We are to come for everyone else. This is why, as I will get to in, into it, this is why I encourage you guys to go to the men's study, men's retreat, women's study, women's retreat, church, any event, Christmas, whatever it might be, do not neglect that. The Lord wants us in fellowship. He wants us to know each other. He wants us to be bound together with each other. If we are not, we are not experiencing the fellowship requirement He has laid out in Scripture. And again, we are being disobedient. Now, when I say stuff like that, that gets more into the preaching side and not the teaching side, and I'm supposed to do both. I'm supposed to teach, 
and I am supposed to preach. When somebody preaches, usually it's a point of contention with your flesh and the Holy Spirit where your flesh doesn't want to submit. It's kind of like worship. And, and believe me, any fault that I would point out to you guys, I have. Right here, chief of sinners like Paul, because I know what it says. And I've done some of these things in here, all of them probably at one time or another, and I am just as guilty, if not more guilty than any of you here. So I want to shed the misery around with everyone else. It's this idea that, like even worship, if you're not here for worship when it begins, you're not experiencing the fellowship. If you're not experiencing the fellowship, you're not becoming connected with the people in communion with the Holy Spirit at the same time, and therefore, we are acting in a disobedient fashion. And the Lord says, he puts it in the vernacular, knock it off, is what he says. He wants us to be in line with his Holy Spirit, and our entire existence is supposed to be one where we're submitting to God. Now, are there reasons why we don't come? Yes, there are reasons. I remember when our girls were small and I would come early to do worship and Patty would come in the cutlass year and the kids were throwing up in the back and then she has to tell me later when I get home from church, I say, where were you? The kids are throwing up in the back of the car and what did you want me to do? You know, I'm, oh, no, I'm sorry, it was me. I'm, you know, I, I do those kinds of things. I get it. I get it that there's things that happen and so you'll get no condemnation, therefore, from me. Just like Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he wants us to be obedient with this, these things. So going on, why do I teach or preach the word of God? Well, Acts chapter 6 verse 1 through verse 4. In those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom or and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the apostles, they were supposed to be giving themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And there are tasks that are supposed to be delegated to others. But my task is giving the word, is teaching, making sure you guys are well fed, that you guys are the best loved, best fed sheep in any church that exists. That's supposed to be my goal as a pastor. Your goal as somebody who is a disciple of Jesus Christ is to pick up what the seven are doing here. So my job is to teach and preach and whatever else he asks me to do. If a toilet needs cleaning, I say I can say it's not my job. My job is prayer and teaching. Yeah, you laugh because you know that's not true. If there's anything to be done, I'm to put my hand to it. Unless somebody else comes up and says, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. Then I relinquish it. The people were not selected by the apostles. The people that did these tasks were selected by other people. They said, oh, yeah, you could do this. And we're supposed to prove faithful in the tasks that are given to us. So why on a regular basis do I promote going to men's, women's, home fellowships, or any other study for that matter? And in all honesty, 
I want you to have this one so you will not be ashamed. And that's what the scripture says. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles a word of truth. There's all kinds of reasons why we can choose not to go to every single study that we can possibly go to. And the only reason we can come up with a good excuse is if we're dead. I mean, that's, that's Mrs. Mayo from fourth grade. She told me that if I didn't hand in my homework, there's only one good reason why. And she goes, and it's because there's a death in the family, and it's you. And that's why you wouldn't hand in your homework. And for us as believers, it's the same thing. Why do we choose not to do that? Because I'm tired, or i got to clip my nails, or, you know, whatever the case might be, we just say, no, I'm not going to do it. And the Lord says, stop it. Knock it off. Start studying to show yourself approved. Well, how long do you need to go to study before you decide it's enough? Can I say never? You, you go until you die, or you can't go. And I'm totally serious about that. And I say this in a form of an exhortation, not a condemnation. As I already said, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We're not to condemn others. We're to lift them up. And by the way, just as a side note, my job is to encourage one another to love and good deeds. When I do that, as when any pastor does that, or any teacher of the word, some things are going to be brought up that individuals are not going to like because it goes against what their flesh desires. And the flesh is going to war against it, and then guess who becomes the object of scorn because you're trying to get them to kill the flesh? The one who teaches it becomes the object of scorn. And so I understand that if I'm delivering these things, and you have to also comprehend I'm giving you these things in the spirit of love because when we get to heaven, you might think, so where's my reward? You know, I did stuff in church as well. And you go up and there's this little pile like bird seed and you go, that's it? Well, what? how come? And the Lord, you know, not that he's going to condemn us. He's not. But when we get there, he's going, yeah, I wanted to give you more, but you, you just wouldn't be obedient. I want you guys to have such a pile in heaven that it looks like Mount Everest. I, I want to make sure that you guys see that and you just go, this is awesome when you get there. And you know, I, I had a dream a few nights ago. And in this dream, and I'll just explain it. In this dream, there was this citrus tree. And when I have gone to Cambodia, Pastor Drew, who is over there, sometimes he'll get this um, piece of citrus. And I don't know the name of it. You might know the name of it. But it's about this big. It's huge. It's massive. It's not orange. It's its its own citrus type. But it's really big. And you tear the flesh off of it, and it's about a half inch thick. And the thing is still really big when you get all the way done. And it comes in slices, just like an orange, and you take off one of those slices, and it's a little pithy. But, you know, you eat it, and it's all good. And so we'll be eating that as we're traveling along in a van. Well, in my dream, it was this small dwarf citrus tree. 
And it had these oranges or whatever, citrus on it that were just huge. They were just massive. And I'm going, look at the size of those. And there was about a dozen of them on there. And each one of them, you could see the slices on it. And each one was a different color. And they were changing colors. And I was going, oh, this is cool. You know, and I, and it, I had the impression in the dream that it was like fruit that you produce, you're just you, and you produce fruit, me, I'm just producing some fruit, and that's the fruit. And then after that, after I saw that tree, and there was somebody standing next to it, kind of pointing at the tree, and I'm going, this is really cool. And then I saw this one citrus, and I held it in my hand. And I looked at it, and it looked a little different. And it was completely whole, but as I peeled back, back the skin there was a slug that was as big as the piece of fruit and then i took off all the skin and it was covered in slugs now what do you think that meant you're producing fruit but it is not fit to eat and i thought wow how many dead works do i have and i felt "Eh, i need to make sure that I'm producing the fruit on the tree. I'm getting off my point here. Why do we close with a song or a hymn? Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. This is when Jesus had his last meal, the last supper. It says, and when they had sung a hymn after they had finished, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so it was Jesus' tradition at the end of a meeting or a meal that they sing a song. That's why we sing a song at the end. The same reason. Why do we receive communion? In Luke chapter 22, verse 14. Again, this seems like a no-brainer. This goes through Luke 22:14 through 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, this is, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Also in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26. This is the Apostle Paul writing. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whoever or whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we are proclaiming the Lord's death death through the act of communion. We remember his death that brought us salvation. He was the perfect sacrifice. And when we receive communion, you'll probably get a little bit more of that. Why do we close in prayer or say, why do I say my prayer for you is before I close the message? Why, Why do I say that? Well, there's this thing called a benediction. 
And a benediction is an utterance or bestowing of a blessing, especially at the end of a religious service, if you want to look up the dictionary definition of that. There are 28 of these things in doxologies in the scripture. A couple of them, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's a benediction. Therefore, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, or in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven. finally, brothers, actually that might be, I didn't get the first or second, I think that's second. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So all of these are benedictions or they are closing prayers. Now, why do I feel, and we're going to run out of time here by the time I'm done, so I'm I'm just going to continue with this and not go into Matthew. But why do I tell you these things? At least why do I feel the Lord wanted me to tell you these things? As I look at the churches that are out there today, And I do that from time to time. I'll go and I'll look at them. I'll I'll see what their website says. I'll see what they believe. I'll see what they adhere to. And most of them are completely orthodox in their teaching. When you go there, you'll see that they believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, His death, burial, and resurrection, His virgin birth, His second advent coming back to the earth. They believe in the millennial reign of Christ, literally. Not all uh, churches believe that, that we'll be here, that He will restore all things for those thousand years, and at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released for a short time, and then there will be a judgment, the great white throne judgment, and after that, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that's where we go. And it all began with the fall of man after creation. So all of those are standards for the Christian faith. There are several that they veer off just a little bit. They'll say, say things like, the Holy Spirit is not the third person of the Trinity, and, or he's just a force to be reckoned with. He's not a person. And the Holy Spirit is a person and he is a gentleman and he has all the characteristics of the Father and all the characteristics of the Son. And all three of them are God. They are all of the same essence, but they will come to us as an individual personality, even though they are one. And it's a difficult concept to comprehend. And that is a concern for me. But my biggest concern is that the church today is getting away from the simple instruction from the Lord, going through the books to find out what the whole counsel of God is, that they'll focus on one thing, and that one thing normally deals with self and happiness. I asked someone recently, and maybe I mentioned this before, I don't recall, but I asked someone recently, When was the last time you heard a message at a church you have gone to that balances out, I think I did tell you, balances out the wrath of God with the loving kindness and sacrifice of God, the love that is there? When did you last hear one? You usually don't. You don't hear anything about judgment and the wrath to come, and you hear everything about how God wants to bless you. And that gets into the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine. And there is a scripture that deals with this. I'm going to read this to you in five different versions. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
but having itching ears, they shall heap to themselves teachers in accordance with their own lusts. Here's another version. There will come a time when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. They will collect teachers who say what they want to hear because they are self-centered. Another one. The time is coming when people won't listen to good teaching. Instead, they will look for teachers who will please them by telling them only what they are itching to hear. Here's another one. For there will come a time when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, because they have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in line with their own desires. And the last one, the ESV. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. All of those are different, but you get the idea that people go to church for what they can receive out of it and what makes them happy. God does not want us to pursue that. And there are messages, you can look it up on the internet, the messages will say, you don't have to sacrifice happiness for holiness. And, which is true. You don't have to. And holiness requires us to be self-sacrificial. But happiness requires no sacrifice. And the focus gets on the happiness. Am I happy today? I'm happy today. Oh, I'm so blessed by the message. I'm glad people get blessed by messages. I get blessed by messages. I go, wow, it's so good. And I feast on that turkey leg like I was telling you. It's good. But you know, I need to have a, a sober view of myself. And we all do. And so I just want to make sure no matter where our paths lead us in the future, that we're not saying things like, well, you know, I'm going to this church because... It has more to offer me. Or I'm going to this church because, you know, I know people there. Or I'm going to this church because, you know, it, it's just, I like it better. It should be, I'm going to this church because God has called me here. No matter how difficult, no matter how tiring it is, I stay because God wants me to stay. And if God doesn't want somebody to stay, get out of here. You know, just go where God wants you to go. I, I, my desire is that the person is just completely fulfilled in their pursuit of God, not completely fulfilled in their own personal desires. And this is contrary to what the word says, or to what the world says. The world says, "I did it my way. You deserve a break today." You know, all of those things, and that is filtering into the church. So, yeah, I, I want everybody to be happy. If I had to choose, happy or holy, I would say holy. But if you get to the holiness, there's a joy that nobody can take away. And so that's the payoff. What we're going to do at this time is we're going to receive communion. The worship team is going to come up. And we're going to sing a song. And, you know, if you feel like... You know, and some of these things, when it comes to church, I've been failing. Well, join the club. Yeah, I have failed so many times. And the Lord just says, you know, it's all right. Just get back up. Keep walking and be encouraged. So I want to encourage you this morning. My prayer for you is that you will be able to die to the flesh. That you will be able to live for the Lord. That he will give you tremendous discernment on what His will is for you in Christ Jesus. 
And you will not seek after the desires of the flesh so that you might be fulfilled according to your own will. And Lord willing, he will do this. And so if you guys would come up and get the communion and pass that out, that'd be great.